Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. All right, Solar Warrior, welcome back. As usual, we are diving deep with a solar energy entrepreneur. It's better understand what's happening, this case in the world of energy storage. Thank you so much for lending us your ears and the only non-renewable resource that you've got, and that's your time. I promise not to waste it. Wherever you are, you could be doing anything right now, and we are truly grateful that you're tuning in to Suncast. If you're new here, I hope that you will come away with some new tidbits, goodies, and uh, you know, tools in your arsenal that'll help you grow in your personal career and your venture, whatever that may be. Today's entrepreneur, is no stranger to the wild and crazy ride we call the solar coaster. Cut his teeth in the industry more than a decade ago, uh, has worked at companies you'd recognize like Tesla and got the entrepreneurial bug several years back. In this case, saw before many the coming wave and rise of energy storage and the need for something slightly different, a format and a form factor in the market that was underserving, almost entirely unserved at that time in history. We'll hear more about that and how Omid Badkube and Yada Energy have sought to address a little addressed market that is actually a huge total addressable market. We'll dig into energy storage for commercial and industrial as well as the journey of this young entrepreneur today on Suncast. And if you like this and other discussions like it, be sure you subscribe to the show. That'll ensure that you won't miss our twice-weekly content just like this. Of course, you can go to mysuncast.com where more than 350 additional founder stories and startup advice await you. Special thanks to all of those of you who've gone to our website and clicked around to the show notes as well to our application for coaching. Uh, we do still have a few coaching spots available. Uh, just click on the Work with Nico button and we'll see if there's a fit there. Set up a clarity call with you. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. We're going to tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, my friend Omid Badkube is no stranger to Suncast. In fact, if you are familiar with the name, it perhaps it could be because you heard his episode here back when we interviewed him as the startup of the year at SPI 2019, the winner of Startup Alley. Omid and his team co-founded Yada Energy. And uh, he pulls from a decade of experience, as I said, in solar PV, energy storage, electric vehicles, and working in China, working in the U.S. to create a business that is specifically addressing the storage market for commercial industrial, particularly rooftop, with products like the Solar Leaf. And we'll hear today some other ways they're addressing that market. But without further ado, welcome back to Suncast, Omid Badkube. Thanks, Nico. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Never a dull moment with you, my friend. I am really looking forward to this. I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to as well. God willing, and the vaccines don't run out 
Getting back to your stumping grounds and NOLA for SPI once more. We'll be together in New Orleans, I hope, in the fall. Are you going to be there? Of course, man. We're anxiously waiting for that trade show to happen. <laughs> man, you know, just the, the crazy tumultuous time that was 2020 has helped prepare your business and, and you as an entrepreneur, I'm sure, for what is going to be a breakout year for your company. We'll talk some more about that, but it couldn't be a better homecoming for you as I expect 2021 is going to be the year of storage and you guys are perfectly positioned to really have some some special interest at SPI 2021. I don't want to get too far over our skis and out ahead of ourselves here. Omid, for those relatively unfamiliar with your story, can you give us some insight into your first glimpse at clean energy when you became enraptured by this technology wave that you saw coming and how you knew this is where your career was going to be focused for the better part of the next decade or more? Yeah, Nico, that's a great question. So I actually studied global diplomacy, which would have led me to State Department type of work. But in my last semester, I was taking some credits in California and at UCLA. And I uh, worked for a friend at a real estate office and discovered some of the first off-grid solar homes. And this was back in 2008. It just piqued my interest. I completely did a 180 and shifted and said, I want to work in solar. I think the idea of powering our lives and our homes and our businesses with the sun, it's just, to me, the coolest thing. Did a complete switch, came back, took some courses in solar PV design. Uh, the market was very, very early then. It was uh, not as easy as it is today to sell solar. <laughs> just worked my way up. So this was at a time when the high, the top of the line solar module was about 170 watts and it was going for about three to four dollars a watt. You know, this whole idea of being powered by solar just kind of captivated your attention. You ended up getting certified to install. You're one of the few CEOs of a company that are actually NABSEP certified. How important is technical certification in this industry for those who are unfamiliar? Oh man, it, I think it's extremely important. You know, we could do a whole show on this. And I have not been on that side of the business for some time now. But to me, uh, with solar, you're dealing with a lot of government incentives and tax breaks. And I think, you know, just like a realtor has to be certified and has a license. I think we'll, the, the industry will mature where those dealing with government funds should have some sort of certification. And obviously, NAPSEP is the leader in that, in that sector. For those unfamiliar, NAPSEP stands for North American Board Certified Energy Practitioner, and it is the gold standard for anyone who touches, tweaks, designs, or in any way installs the wires to the wing nuts of a solar array. And uh, we, when I was at Trina and even before that, created a significant amount of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. For any competitors that don't have NABSEP certification, I tell you, my hat's off to you, Omid, to being diligent going through the process. I remember my friend who at the time was our, our C10 California electrical contractor license holder said that the NABSEP certification test was harder than the C10 electrical licensing test in California, just for folks to have some concept of how difficult it's actually, it's a rigorous process and it's meant to protect the lives of those installing and the lives of those living under the roofs of these solar assets. So my hat's off to you, man. It's uh, it, it also goes to your as a testament to your understanding of not just the conceptual market that you're working in, but you have personally designed with your hands and installed with your fingers, these solar projects. And Nico, just to be clear, I, I have the tech, the NAPSEP technical sales uh, license, not the electrical contractor license, but in itself, it was a very technical test to take. And 
probably need to go check and see if it needs updating. It's been a while since I've looked into it. So, You know, Omid, a lot of folks just don't even know how to get into the industry. And so I like to tap into that first instance where you realize this is where and how I'm going to start my career in solar. Can you take me back to that moment in time? Yeah, sure. Of course. So as I told you, initially peaked while I was in California, got back to Louisiana and I, in the state of Louisiana, you had to get licensed to be able to sell and, and certify these systems. And I was in one of the classes and there was a guy behind me that was just asking all kinds of questions that, uh, as if someone that was already installing these systems. Again, this was very early so, in the industry. Yeah, we're talking 2007, 2008, for those who are not, Correct. not familiar. Correct. I looked back at him and I said, hey, his name is Ricky. Um, he's actually one of our early investors, if he ever listens to this podcast. I said, hey, I want to work with you. And he's like, well, I don't really have a budget to hire anyone right now. And I said, I don't care. I'll just work for free. I jumped in and we grew the company. I started the sales department. At that time, he was just what's called an EPC for other solar developers, installers. And then he, we basically created our own division and uh, started competing with some of the biggest companies in the state. So it just basically tr- jumped in. I went to every training I could find. I went to all the SPIs and inner solars and just kind of self-taught um, in the industry. Yeah. And you were making great money young in your twenties, but just took on a lot of responsibility, essentially co-founding this solar company from an electrical electrical company with uh, Ricky, the founder of the company that you were working with. As many of us have experienced in our careers, you got an opportunity to just t- kind of take the take your foot off the gas for a minute, explore other avenues. As with so many great men, you got a chance to follow your wife for a change and took that calling. Where did that take you? And how did that kind of change the direction of your interest with renewables? Great question. So, you know, work was really busy. It was doing well. One thing I'd like to add in is, is at that time in the industry, I did a lot of positions where companies today maybe have 10 or so different positions broken up. So we did everything from the design to the line diagrams, permitting. So I learned the whole gamut, but I was close to burnout. And my wife got an interesting offer to work at an international school in China. She's a great teacher, great educator, and wanted to see what the systems were like internationally and abroad. And I said, you know, why not? Let's try it. And I knew that China was ramping up at that time with solar module manufacturing. So I decided to just jump and we moved to China. And you got a chance to install solar panels there or projects or, or no, just transition, changed your, changed your career altogether? I went there initially with the hunch that I could get into the manufacturing side. I toured a lot of solar panel factories at that time, but I ended up teaching for a year while I was in China, which was a great and rewarding year. And then I worked for uh, my own startup that I was early startup, which was probably one of my first failures and learning moments. Then I joined a company called Evoke, which was an electric motorcycle startup. That was my first experience into deep diving into lithium batteries and you know, the pros and cons. And for anyone who just as a consequence of this interview, it just genuinely wants to geek out with someone who is the insider's insider on battery and China electric startup. I'd encourage you to, we'll tell you how you can connect with Omid and you can have hours of, as I have WhatsApp chats or whatever with Omid about what's coming out of China. I think this is one of the things candidly that I admire about you that positions you really well as a startup founder because you have such a breadth of understanding that others don't of 
what to expect from China and how it's changing the game. We'll get into that in a bit, but I'd like to share with others the story of sitting at a Plowin internet cafe or, or I don't know, some other sort of cafe that, that gave you the inkling of an idea that there was just a piece missing in the renewable energy sector. Yeah, I think this story is kind of the birth of the idea of, of what Yada is today. I was traveling. We, we traveled quite a bit when we lived in China to different islands and went on vacation. And I was helping a lot of people design these battery backup off-grid systems. It was an aha moment for me. We were on a remote island, they call island hopping in Palawan, which is a beautiful, pristine uh, island off of the Philippines. And there was a lady running a cafe. And then this cafe was running a heavy and, and loud diesel generator. And it completely ruined the moment of being on this pristine piece of earth. And I started working with her to design a system. We looked at you know how much she was actually running. And then I realized through that discovery that it wasn't the cost of the equipment that was going to be the barrier, it's the technical know-how and the simplification of the systems. And then how do we start making solar off-grid or on-grid for that matter, solar and storage, as it's called today, how do we make it simpler? How do we make it so simple that you can just send it and someone with common knowledge with electrical background can install it? Because up to now, and now being circa 2013, 2014, Mm -hmm. solar was bespoke the integrated storage systems were even more bespoke. If you needed storage, it meant that you needed now an electrical engineer to come in and and size, right size something. And I feel like even 2020, 2021, a lot of folks are approaching storage that way. Where did you start to identify gaps in the market? And I'd love to hear a bit as you came back to the US, how you began to apply this this birthplace idea of storage as a direction to a marketplace need? I mean, I just saw that solar was maturing. The price had come down. The, the sales process was getting simplified. And, and the next frontier was storage, right? Because it was going to get to a point where the real value in solar kilowatt hour or, you know, is, is the ability to store and control it, right? And, you know, I had a time at Tesla back in 2012, 2013. And this was way before Tesla had taken on the vertical integration with Solar City and getting to solar. And, um, you know, I loved the job there and I had a lot of growth potential, but ultimately I decided that my knowledge set and my ability to surf was in solar and storage. And I left Tesla to get back into solar and storage. Lo and behold, they're now one of the biggest players in that sector, which <laughs> no one would have known at that time. But uh, what's the inception story? I seem to remember. Uh, kind of like our past guest, Philip Brumer, Bruner, was, I seem to remember almost like one of our previous guests, Philip Brum, Bruner, who was presenting his idea at, a, I remember, like a roundtable networking thing. That's sort of how Yada was born, right? Yes. So the co-founder, I, uh, Vikram, we met at a function called Three Day Startup. And when the initial idea was very similar, akin to what the Tesla Powerwall is today, it was the idea of integrating battery cells and power electronics and inverter into one package. We spent the first six to eight months just doing discovery and realized that every company was trying to create an integrated storage solution like that. And we said, well, how can we be 10 years ahead of the market curve? Right now, how can we, how can we create something that further simplifies what's already happening? And it, I just had an aha moment. You know, I was in the industry when Module-level power electronics, like microinverters and optimizers, started to get uh, more prolific. And I saw firsthand that 
how they simplified systems and therefore brought more value to both developers, installers, and end customers. And I said, well, if you can do this with a battery, why not create panel-level storage, right? It would simplify the heck out of developing these systems. Uh, there was only one issue, and that is batteries typically don't like to be in extremely hot or cold environments. I remember the very first conversation I had with you when you set up just a, a clarity call just to catch up and like get to know each other. My first question was, okay, you're putting storage units behind solar panels, the hottest place in a solar array. How does this work? I have two questions around your early discovery. The first is indirect. It's how did you keep the lights on? What, what were you doing to fund the venture early on? I mean, were you working? Is this a side hustle? Yeah, the first part, I think the first year I was working still as a developer uh, for a local company here in Austin. And then I took the leap and jumped full time. But it's funny because I was actually driving Lyft those first, you know, six months of that time just to make side income. <laughs> no shit. There was an episode on Silicon Valley, I don't know if you recall, where one of the guys was driving Lyft to try to find a VC investor. <laughs> and I just had this back of the mind idea. I was like, you know, you never know. I'll drive Lyft and you might find investors that way. I would clock out around 5 or 6 p.m. and then spend some time with the family and then go out and drive Lyft. I'm an extrovert, so I actually enjoyed it. I liked meeting people and talking to people and uh, it was kind of fun. So that was a very, very early before we raised any capital and we were self-funding the company. So every dollar that we spent was literally coming out of our own wallets. So you went out, I remember one of the other interesting things I learned in our first conversation, gosh, must've been the beginning of 2019, where you had taken a non-traditional fundraising strategy. Tell me how you then bootstrapped raising money to get this venture going once you got the seed of an idea and it looked like you and Vikram had stumbled across something electrically possible. Yeah. I mean, I think it was pretty typical succession of, of how startups raise capital. So generally, we started with a group of four core angel investors, led our first round. And, you know, these guys were, it was like blind faith at that time. They just believed in us and our passion. <laughs> And from there, we were able to build the first uh, prototypes of the technology. And then we went out and raised another round of capital with much larger, but with additional angels and an angel group syndicate this time. And then uh, from there, we raised our most recent round, which was a 5 million uh, series seed round, which included both institutional investors as well as high net worth angels. Yeah, congratulations for that. You guys have certainly proven uh, your worth. Actually, for those who maybe are unfamiliar with some of the accolades and then we'll jump into some of the technological hurdles that you've overcome. Tell us some of the, I'll say like grants and accelerators and uh, sort of awards that you guys have earned over the last 18 months since the startup alley entrepreneur or startup of the year. Yeah, sure. So I think anyone listening is, is thinking of doing any kind of startup specifically in, in the clean tech space, you kind of have to apply to everything and uh, see all the programs that are out there. A big breaking moment for us was getting into the NREL IN2 program that's funded by Wells Fargo, uh, which we just graduated now from the first phase. Um, but that was a great grant to get into. And then since then, we've, we've done a lot since uh, the Rocket Fund that's funded by Caltech and a few utilities. We won the Starter Business Prize, out of, uh, which is funded by EDP and, and a few other utilities in Europe. So you kind of have to go down that road and, and join different incubators and accelerators and help build out your core business plan, your model. They really morph you into what you need to become as a company. And then you reach a time where they're all pinging you and you have to selectively choose who, who you're going to apply to. So, 
I love it. Yeah, back actually, one of the fun things uh, is how a lot of this stuff triangulates. Trish Cozart, who runs the IN2 program, gave you guys one of only two companies uh, that she gave a shout out to back in October of 2020 episode. I think 307 or something like that. If I'm, I'm look, trying to quickly look at our uh, our dashboard here, but that was a fun moment uh, and unexpected for me where I was like, oh yeah, I know those guys. She actually started talking about this. She goes, oh, and this really innovative rooftop storage company. And she didn't want to say the name of the company. And I was like, wait, wait, you've got to be talking about Yada. And she's like, yeah, Yada. And I said, why don't you say the name? And I finally got her to actually say the name for the record, which is not easy for someone at NREL. So that was always, that's always a lot of fun when, when that happens. You know, the question I had for you, and this will bring us back full circle here to explaining the challenge that you see in the market and where I think not only I, but many people have been dubious about the success or prospect of Yada. Uh, and it, it comes back to an early interview I did with Fareed at JLM, right? Like I've seen several iterations of companies like JLM that purport module level storage in the way that Enphase ages ago purported module level electronics, right? Like it seems on the surface, this is inevitable, but there are some really core fundamental hurdles to overcome, not the least of which is heat dissipation and how batteries, if anybody's got a Tesla, right? Like how batteries under heat just perform so much more poorly. So can we just start at fundamental like 101? Why do you believe that there's a market for, and a big market for, and now you've got a seed round of $5 million to, to show that there's actually appetite for module level storage and how are you going to succeed where other companies like JLM have failed? So, you know, the three core fundamentals of any startup are technology, timing and team. And you can dissect and figure, try to figure out which one's the most important, but they're all kind of play their own very unique <laughs> importance into the whole success of a company. We were actually in development of our panel level technology, storage technology way ahead of companies like JLM, but we focused on the biggest problem, which is heat dissipation and protecting batteries against extreme temperature. You know, the truth is putting batteries on a rooftop is a crazy idea, unless you have a way of managing heat. If you Look at any battery, any electric vehicle company or energy storage company. One of the core secret sauces of a company's success is thermal management. That's our proprietary now patented technology where we're able to keep the batteries in a very comfortable temperature zone without utilizing any power or complex mechanisms. And so it's very akin to you know, companies like Tesla, which is, is frankly the leading uh, market product right now. They use liquid cooling for their systems. And there's pros and cons to that. The con is that uh, it uses power and then it doesn't work really well on extremely cold climates. And you don't use liquid cooling. We don't use liquid cooling, no. But you've got IP around air cooling. The ambient air is a part of our cooling, but it's more that uh, it's just one function of the cooling, right? So actually, I want to pause there for a second because I know that I mean, you've got a whole, uh, you know, you've obviously pitched a lot why your technology is different and better, but I want to ask some of the questions that I think are uh, probably in people's minds and some of the seeds, some of the questions that you've illuminated for me that I was unaware of. And I think this is a huge one. And I just feel like it's our duty to tell folks, because when I discover stuff like this, it's just like, how in the world did I not know this? Apparently, Tesla is the only product on the market that doesn't void the warranty in a temperature event. Can you explain what this means? Because I wasn't aware there was some temperature event market warranty voiding situation in storage right now. 
Yeah. So we gotta be, we're treading down a path that I've got to be careful on. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Um, I'm, and we're, 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 we'll be careful. We'll be careful we, and cautious. You know, at, <laughs> at, at Yato, we we look at we analyze every bit of the competition, right? And we've we look into everyone's warranty, uh, whether it's a residential product or a commercial product or a utility scale product. And there are only a few companies that have actively managed systems. And if you start digging deep into these warranties for these products, it's kind of surprising that Tesla's, to our knowledge, there may be some others, but they're the only ones that their warranty doesn't get voided by some extreme weather event. If you've got one or no one and you're listening to this and this is anathema to you and you want to say, hey, we're ours too, ours is good too, then I would encourage you, hang us on LinkedIn because I'm sure, you know, Omid would love to know about it too, but, but keep going, Omid. You know, we're, we're still very early in the days of energy storage, right? Like think of when solar panels first came to market and all the advancements that we have now. And um, I would say, you know, there are a lot of companies that, and when you sell energy storage, you're selling it to a wider market, which means varying degrees of temperature, right? Right, you know, you have heat waves that are now occurring, which are unexpected, and you have polar uh, vortexes that bring extremely cold temperature. In batteries in general, uh, especially lithium, iron phosphate or lithium or NMC, they're kind of like the human body. They like to stay between 32 and 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Anything beyond that can cause long-term damage and reliability to the cell. And so because of that, there's a lot of products where the engineering and the, you know, the, the technical lawyers of the company come in, they look at it and they say, oh, wow, we can't, we got to scale back this warranty for these events. Whereas for us, we've designed for this. Like we knew we we're going to be in extremely harsh environments on a rooftop. We've designed that into the technology. What about the chemistry? And one of the first things I asked you was, okay, is this lithium ion? Are you using some other type of chemistry? And I know there's some things that per IP and trade secret, you don't want to discuss around your chemistry, but talk to me a bit about the way that this chemistry of energy storage dictates where and how the storage module can be used, how you guys have positioned or tried to innovate in that regard. We're cell agnostic. We can build the technology, the, you know, the, the core product with any slew of battery technologies. But we were very big early on on lithium iron phosphate. It's inherent safety. It's longevity. It's typically higher cycle life than other higher output cells. And it's slightly heavier, but we've learned to use that as an asset because we've now use the solar leaf as a ballasting mechanism as well on commercial rooftops. It's a ballast as well? Correct. So I would say somewhere around 80% of commercial rooftops are ballasted. Installers today place concrete blocks for that weight system. With our solution, they're now not only offsetting concrete blocks, but they're adding active energy storage. That is genius. So, So it actually allows for replacing sort of like a dumb weighted technology with a smart weighted technology. Correct. Which has its issues, right? We've heard from a lot of uh, installers and roofers that these concrete blocks actually disintegrate over time and cause warranty issues because then you have sediment on the rooftop uh, that can cause issues with the roof. Roofing warranty issues. Yeah. Roofing warranty issues, right. That's long-term, but yeah, the, the standard today is to use a concrete block to ballast commercial rooftop systems and instead of using concrete blocks, we're using energy storage. We like to think it's the best thing since sliced cells. <laughs> the best thing since sliced cells. You definitely should trademark that. I love it. That's really, that's really good. I love the, you guys have a bunch of clips like that. So uh, I love it there. And Andrew sometimes th- toss them out like they're just natural part of conversation. You've done a smart job 
of recruiting your team. And I, and I want to come back around to this in just a moment. Uh, so don't, don't let me forget. I want to talk about Andrew and some of the other folks that you brought on your team that are just crack smart. But when we talk about IP, where else do you see important innovation? Because I think that is something that folks haven't really kind of wrapped their head around. They, they see that there's, you know, this conversation happening around long versus short duration storage, uh, AC versus DC coupled. And uh, I'd like to hear from your perspective where you see innovation happening. Yeah, I think it's, it's simplification of how to integrate these systems in the built environment, right? That is the fundamental need. If you make it easier, it by default makes it less expensive and brings more value, right? And we get this a lot. Like, you know, how does it make sense to put a bunch of smaller batteries versus one big block, right? And a lot of times the folks asking those questions have never installed the system themselves because they've gone through that process and realized all that it takes to try to design and permit a system in the parking lot and all the variables that you have to go through. It would make a whole lot of sense to them why we're putting it on the rooftop, right? And the second big innovation is, I mean, that we're, we feel like we're competent in is, th- is thermal management, right? You have to figure out systems for, for keeping batteries in comfortable temperature zones. I feel like there's a, there is this discussion that I briefly touched on, and I've heard you kind of couch it slightly differently, this AC versus DC coupled. How do you think about that when you're discussing where your battery solution fits with other solutions? Yeah, so we, we coined and trademarked the term PV coupled storage. Mainly that we didn't quite identify with AC coupling because we're on the DC side and we didn't quite identify with DC coupling because it's inherently tricky and complex. <laughs> so we are on the DC side, the, the energy storage device, solar leaf is installed directly in between the solar module and the inverter, but we're on the PV side of the equation. And this can simplify a lot of things from permitting because we're from a utility perspective, we're actually behind a solar inverter. And so we're not permitted the way a traditional storage system is. We actually have a really high efficiency because of this architecture. Panels are DC, batteries are DC, and we're right there at the kind of same location. And we convert to AC one time as needed. Whereas your your system like Tesla's power pack is AC coupled, meaning that you're actually going from DC to AC twice when you're using the energy storage. One of the things that becomes apparent, and we've missed out on this in the last year, uh, but that folks clearly uh, could wrap their head around at SPI when they saw your product, is that it's this briefcase-sized battery, this thing you call the solar leaf. There's a reason you use the terminology leaf. Leafs are light, right? (laughs) They're they're movable. But but you guys are, are more than just a battery company. And this is where I'm really curious, as you're thinking about raising now your Series A and you're expanding the portfolio and capability of a startup in this space, are you looking at obvious, for me, extensions of your brand, like licensing your IP, like integrating power conditioning equipment, right? How do you think about that as a, as a startup that ostensibly is competing with some of your, your iconic mentors, Enphase, SolarEdge, uh, Tesla? Great question. So yeah, we are actively exploring the potential to license our core thermal technology to other players in the space that are looking for thermal management. That's a heavy question, right? There are a lot of startups that take on too much. And then there are those who just kind of don't take on enough. And customer discovery is extremely important. We talk to a lot of customers and we realize that the market is looking for a complete solution. They don't like buying X from this company and this device from this company, because when there are issues, they like to point fingers at each other, right? 
And it's frankly why a company like, you know, SolarEdge has done so well in the industry because they've solved a really effective inverter system plus rapid shutdown and optimization, right? In one, in one company. And so for those reasons, that's, uh, you know, where we announcing some exciting news uh, pretty soon, but we'll be focused on building out our complete solution. So we're not just building batteries. We're going to be providing a complete AC and DC solution for commercial rooftops. If I'm reading between the lines, that means you're going to bring out an inverter to the market. And not only an inverter, but we're going to create a completely low voltage system design that is scalable down to any system size. And it's going to compete really effectively with string inverters with rapid shutdown devices. Effectively taking solar edge head head to head. I mean, there's really nobody else that can own the commercial market the way that solar edge does right now. That's the competition. Am I right? They're definitely the leader, right? Yeah. Uh, because there are a lot of companies now that are, you know, have come out with very unique rapid shutdown devices and they're taking foothold, but yes. So solar edge has done extremely well in the CNI space because of their all in solution. You know, it's the time of year where folks start moving around from business to business, job to job, career transition is at its peak. And it's often a time where folks look to someone else to help organize their thoughts and guide their principles. I've spent the last 15 years in renewables. I've spent the last five years coaching founders and startup executives in this space specifically. And for the last year, I've been helping folks transition out of oil and gas and other industries into renewables. And I've found that there are a few things that are commonalities. And I'd like to invite you, if that sounds like something you're interested in, to have a conversation with me about whether or not coaching might be in your future. And working with me might be something that would help level up your business or your personal career path. You can fill out an application over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the work with me button in the very top right. And everyone who fills out an application, I'm going to set up a 15-minute clarity call. So I'd invite you to run, fill that out if this sounds remotely interesting to you. And let's have a chat. See if there is, in fact, a fit. I look forward to chatting soon. Thank you so much for tuning into Suncast. Let me know if I can help you in other ways. You know, here's a question that I'm sure you've entertained as a thought exercise. Suppose, as has happened in the last few years now with SolarEdge saying, yeah, you can't really play in this game unless you've got rapid shutdown. Suppose a law comes in to play that says you can't put batteries on rooftops. I mean, it's not without, it's not outside the realm of possibility that with the amount of war chest that Invase and SolarEdge have, that they could just attack the, the laws and just sort of try to shut you down that way. What happens to companies like Yada at that point? It's kind of the other way around with that question, Nico. It's more and more utilities and fire departments are actually being very cautious with having a bulk system of energy storage in one location, because that's when it becomes dangerous, right? You have so much potential energy in one location. And if you look at, you know, you used to have everything in a shipping container. Now everything's moving to cabinet-based systems because they have further heat spread between the stacks of batteries. And that's very important to us. So we're, our product is going to be 9540A certified. 95, what's that mean? So 9540A is a testing protocol for basically proving out the um, non-flammability of your product. Right? Yeah, and that's where using lithium iron phosphate is also Correct. critical, yeah. And so we've actually have been in touch with a lot of fire departments in some of the most strict markets, making sure that we're ahead of the curve. And 
the idea of having our format, which is completely distributed, the battery packs are, you know, a very nominal small size and they're spread apart. It actually poses a far less risk than having batteries in one location, indoor or outdoor on a building. So it's one of those things where, you know, on the surface, it sounds counterintuitive, but that's one of the benefits is as we feel as, as more and more regulations happen in this industry, we are actually going to shine further and further because we've created a solution that um, is very effective at minimizing risk. I hear you talk a lot about CNI. Is this something that you at some point are going to be able to offer to the residential market as well? Correct. So we, we do have in our roadmap to go into residential. We've identified CNI and specifically you know, commercial rooftop systems, 500 KW or less as our sweet spot. Uh, one, it's an untapped potential market. There's very few players. And two, we solve a lot of pain points. So the idea of trying to fit stationary battery systems around, let's say, a grocery store, it's very complex or an apartment complex. We do plan to branch into residential, but we chose to start with a market where we thought we could scale very effectively and very quickly and have more devices sold per project than sites. Can you speak to any early customers that you are you at liberty to talk about customers that you've got on the hook? Yeah, I, I don't think I can disclose any specific customer because some of them are still um, early, but we're talking to some of the biggest uh, CNI developers in, in the U.S. market. And some of the biggest retail customers as well, as I understand. Correct. Correct. So there's a big push for putting solar and storage now on, on a lot of flat roofs. Not only is it cost effective, it's economical, but it's a lot of companies are now making waves and, and, and you know, it's the future. How do we turn these rooftops into power plants? This may seem like a dumb question on the surface, but is this retrofitable? Like there are hundreds, thousands of Walmarts and Targets and Walgreens out there with already installed, uh, you know, you guys actually, duh, you guys have Panel Claw as a partner, their polar rack or whatever you call it. Like, can you go back and, and lift some panels and toss a solar leaf underneath all of these projects? You can, especially with, you know, we've integrated with Panel Claw's Claw FR system, and any system that has a call FR, of course, there would be some mechanical design that needs to be done, but we can go back and retrofit storage. But the important thing, Nico, is only 3 to 4% of rooftops today have solar on them, commercial rooftops. So it's a wide open market and that you know is huge potential for growth. And now it's not even about, you know, one of the things that's plagued this market in the past is it's very difficult to sell into, right? Resi, you sell to a homeowner. And there's an emotional aspect there. Utility scale, you know, obvious reasons why that's doing really well. In CNI, specifically commercial, the landlords, the building owners never paid the electric bill. It was always the tenants. The tenants didn't have any reasons to invest in these systems. That's all shifting. And it's shifting in a model where these rooftops are now seen as valuable square footage and deploying these dispatchable systems within urban environments. And utilities have taken notice. And very progressive utilities are looking to invest in these systems and provide energy services to end customers. One of the things that you shared with me in a previous call that just sticks out in my mind is some of the advantages that I know my project development friends would be interested in hearing when thinking about right-sizing or even potentially oversizing a system. How does adding storage to a project, and maybe it's just the Yada system, I'm not clear, but adding storage, how does that allow you to maximize the potential roof availability. So there's some uh, yet to be benefits of our system that we will be launching in a future generation. But by having storage on the rooftop and DC coupled in nature, but specifically in our architecture, 
there's a whole new set of benefits that you can bring not only to storage side of the equation, but also now to the solar PV side of the equation, right? And just a antidote, you typically design a solar PV system based on a theoretical best month of production. And you might oversize that system for, you know, the balance system, the wiring, the inverters based on that one month, right? And, but the rest of the year, you're underutilizing your balance system. By having storage on the rooftop, we can actually maximize this architecture and also reduce interconnection rates. And so that gives us the ability to actually lower the cost of solar as well. And in some cases, the savings from interconnection, we can apply that to the cost of energy storage. That sounds like it's way more complex than we could get into <laughs> in this discussion. I almost regret bringing it up. But if that sounds like something that, that, <laughs> that piques your interest, maybe you want to just follow up with the Omid and he can unpack that for you a little more. You mentioned that it's a market that's traditionally difficult to sell into. Uh, you did something early on that I found really intriguing. One, you brought on a guy named Phil. We'll talk about Phil and why that's important. But before we get to Phil and how you're building out the team, you have someone on your team who I uh, deeply admire and have had been friends with for a long time, Andrew, who was one of the early guys at Jelly. Most folks maybe don't recognize the name Jelly because Jelly positioned themselves as the energy operating system before storage was even a, a market to be really uh, triaged and built out. Uh, Andrew was thinking about how to sell storage to clients like BMW. Why, from your perspective, does this seem like a compelling opportunity for Andrew, who by all accounts is one of the you know few like really successful sales guys in the storage sector? How'd you get Andrew to come on board? What does he see as the opportunity from his angle as someone who understands how difficult it is to sell this. It's funny because Andrew actually found, well, it's a very interesting story, but <laughs> um, this plays into the, the three critical core things, right? Mm -hmm. Timing, team, technology, right? And you got to build the right team. And as a startup founder and CEO, it's, it's all about building the right team. Yeah. You got to find the money and you got to find the team. That's right. We were at a trade show in uh, South by Southwest, very famous event, which we found our, you know, our successful, successfully found investors there as well as some talent. Andrew was walking by, he saw the product and it was an aha moment for him. So, you know, one of the things that we hear a lot is people saying, oh, I had this idea. I'm glad to see it coming to fruition, right? Uh -huh. Andrew, having been on the early market phase of energy storage and all the difficulties and the variabilities, he saw this unique format and he was drawn to it. And to be clear, like, Andrew, just so for so for, again, for folks who are unfamiliar, Andrew at Jelly worked with the software side of integrating virtually every type of storage in the market that was trying to sell into commercial. So just so the folks are clear, like he was literally on conversations every day for five years with every storage vendor from LG and Samsung to Pika and, um, you know, and, and all the resi guys. So go ahead. Here's, here's the big secret for all the, all the VCs investors listening software's got to go somewhere and it's got to go on hardware. So, yeah, that's right. So if you're in energy storage, you can't only be in software because you have to figure out the hardware piece of that's it. That's right. And that's what he realized was missing. In fact, you know, he, he was drawn to the hardware aspect of it because there's very few innovating on the hardware side of things. There's Tesla and there's a few others and then there's no one else. And for those who want to hear a, a, a cheeky Aussie take on this argument, we did a fantastic, uh, it was the first in our great debate series back for SPI 2020 with our friends from Extensible Energy and basically an Andrew 
where we discussed the difference between software and hardware. But I digress. That's one that you can easily find on our YouTube channel as well. But let's talk about building the team here, because as you said, it's part of the trifecta. How have you gone about as a CEO bringing credible counterparts to your team who take responsibility off of you and give credibility to your investor base? Yeah, I think the first thing I look for, Nico, is passion. The person has to see the future of the product and be passionate about why they would wake up every day and go to work and 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 get through the difficult moments, right? You know, Phil, for example, came to us and he saw Bill Gilchrist. He's our COO. And he had a great you know background in manufacturing from companies like Dell. And then he was at a company called Solar Bridge that helped pioneer microinverters. Yeah, sold and to SunPower. Sold to SunPower. And then he saw our format and he said, wow, these guys are are doing something that's basically the next evolution of <laughs> the microinverter, but now with storage. And uh, I think it's the key is that we've had some hard moments, right? It is a, as a startup raising capital, it's not always easy. And it's the passion of the team. The fact that every team member feels that the company is a part of their own and they're all working towards the same target. That's what I look for in, in, in people because that, I think everything else can be learned. It can be taught. You have to find people that have the right passion. And, you know, Elon talks about this all the time and it, I admire the guy. I listen to him. I learn a lot from him. And he says this flat out. Like, I don't care if you have an MBA or this advanced degree. <laughs> Can you get in here? Can you solve problems? And are you passionate about what you're doing? Amid, um, definitely agree with you on uh, so many levels here. One of the things I want to leave the listeners with before we jump into some of the things that are more inspirational in nature is just tactical examples, practical examples, perhaps. Are there good use cases for adding energy storage to to buildings that maybe other like that folks who are new to the sector or who are just thinking about where their skills align? Could you give an example case for us to understand kind of what sorts of customers are looking at storage and then your technology as well as a, to solve a problem? Sure thing. So if, if anyone's been paying attention recently, you know that the energy transition is happening at an extremely fast pace, more so in the last three to four months than I think ever before. And all that's going to give rise to a completely new set of circumstances, right? Um, as buildings start to deploy more EV car chargers, their demand profiles will change. Utilities will have to adapt to that. The price of power fluctuates. In some markets, we have time of use, but in most, we don't. But as the prices start to fluctuate greater, more and more utilities might shift to a time of use way of billing. And so the, really the value of solar comes down to how it can be controlled, right? And that's where our product comes in is it intrinsically ties storage in the solar process and allows you to have dispatchable solar. And uh, it'll become more and more prevalent when you have demand changes and electric vehicles and all the things that are happening today. So you've got examples uh, at the utility like Tesla and Fluence and at the commercial level, like our friends at Blue Planet, like what's the difference in adding it at this panel level versus at the system level? But the panel level, you can do it in a very distributed way. You don't have to attach, you don't have to make a commitment to a huge amount of storage. So it all boils down to the simplification, right? With our product, panel level storage, you can roll it right, right into the solar PV process. It can get designed and permitted and installed by the same crew. Okay. And so you're avoiding a lot of customer acquisition costs, design costs, engineering costs. And then the another issue in this industry is people are kind of hesitant to 
adopt one technology because they feel that it's improving quite rapidly. And we kind of solve that issue because you can buy storage in an incremental manner. Uh, you can start with 100 of our units and add 100 kilowatt hours and then come back and expand over time. This is all enabled by our you know, low voltage PV coupled architecture, which includes both the storage and the PV inverters that allow you to basically expand the system effortlessly over time. You've mentioned the inverters a couple of times. When are these going to be available? Yeah, so we'll be launching them next month. It's going to be the first of its kind microinverter for the commercial rooftop space that is cost competitive with traditional string inverters with rapid shutdown devices. What does that mean, cost competitive? Meaning that our price per watt is going to be very similar to that of buying a string inverter and then having to separately buy rapid shutdown devices and install them. Got it. We're, okay, we're, we're so basically bundled, avoiding that. Yeah, bundled solution in one product that you'd otherwise have to buy in two or more products. Correct. And then we call it our storage ready architecture. So developers are now starting to buy these systems so they come back and add our storage at a later date. Omid, one thing that stands out to me, uh, and I can't rationalize this sometimes about, it's like Occam's razor for startup success. You need growth to get investors on board and you need pilot projects and you need a team to go and get those projects, but you need investors on board to pay for the team to go get the pilot projects. How have you dealt with this? And also, where is the big gap right now in your team that you need filled? I mean, we've got a big audience here, potentially is looking to transition from their current solar module sales career to energy storage. Where's your big gap? If I look back at the history of the company, it all comes down to heart. And what I mean by that is not giving up and finding the right team to push the company forward. Because when you feel that you have a really unique proposition, then you start to get the customer feedback and the excitement. There's really nothing that can stop you. You're going to find the right investors over time. You're going to figure out the technology and you're going to just establish the company, right? Yeah, we are growing. And right now we just posted a director of software engineering position. And we'll be looking for some sales positions as well, specifically folks that have a background in solar, but want to transition to storage. And if you're passionate and you don't have a background in solar, we're willing to interview you anyway, because we, it all boils down to how do you feel about this sector and how are you going to, you know, be excited to come to work? I got to be honest, Solar Warriors, this seems like an obvious opportunity for somebody who has been a strategic account manager and has either retail customers or developer customers and wants to just walk in with an opportunity to win big for those customers, bringing them a new product category. It seems to me, Omid, like you are really still looking for hunters out there and maybe a cleaner or two that can help with account management. But Andrew can't do this on his own, right? Like, it seems to me like you need some people out there that can really cultivate the outbound account management and, and, and bring in some lions to, to test this new product out. Yeah, I won't, uh, I won't second all that terminology, but yes. So <laughs> if, you're, if you're interested, we post all our jobs on our uh, website, which we are about to relaunch, but also on LinkedIn and Indeed. So we will be aggressively hiring more so in Q2 of this year. So if, if you're interested in joining the, the next hottest thing in solar and storage, make sure to, to reach out and share your resume. Well, you mentioned a couple of things that have inspired you having worked for Elon and other inspirational leaders in the industry. I'd love to know when you think of solar or renewable industry success stories, who comes to mind for you? There's no doubt about this. The, the greatest of all time is, of course, Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> Highly controversial, 
I, I usually ask during the interview process what someone thinks about Elon, <laughs> just to kind of gauge because, you know, you either love the man or you dislike the man. And there's very few people that are in the middle. And I like to understand, you know, there's nothing wrong with disliking him either, but I want to understand the whys. He throws a vision out there and then sometimes it's aggressive and they're delayed. But what he has done and the, the company Tesla and SolarCity have done in the industry has just basically brung it forth. Like it's, it's really, it's really unique. Then of course, you know, I studied, uh, you know, the founders of Solar Edge, for example, and, and I listened to all of uh, Lior Handelsman's speeches. You know, he gives some really good talks about yeah. how they crossed the chasm, right? Enphase, another success story, right? It, the company started with this concept and uh, went through a period where they almost didn't make it, right? And I, I firsthand experienced the difficulties. I sold a lot of Enphase product, first versions that you have to get through that reliability. It's a very difficult period, right? Right. But now they're, they're probably one of the most profitable companies in this sector, right? Unbelievably profitable. But neck and neck with, with I think, SolarEdge, are, they're, they're very close. But it just goes to show like, the market wants advancements in technology and they want it very quickly, right? And the companies that figure out how to make simplified products that bring value, they're the ones that are going to win. Any advice that you'd have for fellow entrepreneurs in the throes of startup life? Maybe they're trying to raise their first angel round or maybe they're trying to hire their early team. Yeah, I would say, you know, you just kind of have to do, right? When you start a company from from inception, you're just kind of going out on a limb and you have to be passionate about what, what it is you're trying to solve, right? Because if you're not, you're not going to make it. <laughs> it just turned out I was extremely passionate about solar, just excited about it. And it's one of those things like you, you go on and you're, you're trying to meet with investors and you go from essentially being nothing to a concept to then overnight becoming something, right? Then the most important thing for me, I came from the background of the industry. I came from the voice of the customer, so I understood it a lot. But even so, it was extremely important to go and test out your theory, your idea, right? I would say a lot of entrepreneurs out there that think they have a good idea, and, but they haven't really tested it with customers. And it's not expensive to do that, right? And I think that's, that's important, right? And then read, read books and listen to Suncast. <laughs> Those are <laughs> definitely keys to success for sure. That actually tees up our, my next, uh, my next series of questions here. Is there a book or resource perhaps that uh, has made a big impact on how you think about entrepreneurship or maybe even you've gifted or recommended it a ton? Yeah, I think, you know, venture deals is definitely a must if you're trying to raise money and you're a CEO of a company. <laughs> is that, that's by it's, Brad, uh, Brad Feld, right? Correct. It's, it's a really good book to try to understand the mind of what it takes to raise capital. That's not easy. Right? It's a journey. The second one I think I would recommend would be Culture Code. Mm. That's by Daniel Coyle. Culture is, is almost everything to a startup, is building yeah. the right team and the culture and the environment. So I would say that's a very important one. And then there's the one that I always recommend to everyone is The Little Red, the little red Book of Sales. Get them that's a good book, man. It's been a while since I used to, when I was managing a team at the, one of the solar developing companies, I used to give that to every new salesperson and, and told them to study that. And if you follow the advice of that book, you have a successful career in sales because at the core, it's about building a relationship with your customer. Well, Amid, it's been 
an unbelievable journey to watch you guys growing. And I feel like you've given a ton of practical advice and a lot of insights here for folks who are trying to explore what's new in energy storage. I think Yada is on the bleeding edge of energy storage and and is opening new ground and new opportunity for commercial developers. How could folks that want to be along on this journey with you want to at least watch and admire? How could they keep track of what you're doing? Where do you like to be found on the interwebs? Yeah, you can uh, always send us a request on our website, but uh, we do most of our presence on LinkedIn. So you can follow us on LinkedIn, company updates, and then of course, Twitter. And how do you spell Yada? Yada is Y-O-T-T-A. It's a decimal prefix for 10 to the 24th degree. Nice. So yadaenergy.com. Well, let's end today with our bold prediction. Omid Badkube, what one thing do you see happening in the market? Perhaps nobody else is tracking. What's in your crystal ball? Yeah, I think we're going to look at commercial rooftops and rooftops in general as the future power plants distributed amongst urban environments. Energy is going to become more and more prolific and less expensive. And it's going to be how we power the next century of, of, of progress and humanity. Omid Badkube is the CEO and co-founder of Yada Energy. And today you've heard a ton about how their new form factor underneath the solar panel on the top of commercial roofs is challenging the way that developers and users think about storage integrated into PV systems, PV coupled as he has coined it and trademarked. Omid, such a pleasure to have you back on Suncast. Thank you. Nico, it was great, great having this conversation with you. All right, Solar Warriors, that is a wrap, of course, on today's episode, but we are far from finished as you probably are used to. We are posting over on LinkedIn or Twitter, and I would love, love, love your feedback. It is always helpful for Omid and I to know what did you dig? What did you not? What's clear? What's left unanswered for you? You can find those posts on LinkedIn. You can also go to mysuncast.com and find our blog post which has all the social links if you're just if you're confused or whatever you just go to mysuncast.com click on show notes and you'll find this episode that'll lead you to all the resources that you and all of our other fellow follow maths are looking for to continually learn dig in find the highlights from this discussion and 350 plus more over on the blog and uh, the book recommendations we link to them every week as well hey since you're going to be online please take some time and share this episode with someone in your community, your baker, your candlestick maker, your brother, your hairdoer, whoever it is that you think is trying to figure out how all of this works or you think we'll learn more from this conversation. It's a real treat for us to see that you've shared this conversation with others because it means that this resonated with you. I want you to stick around as we dive in to a conversation later this week with my friend Ravi at Atmos Financial. Ravi Mickelson is another investor and entrepreneur that you're going to want to meet. So as we do every Thursday as well, we have a long form conversation with another entrepreneur on what's happening in clean tech. Thanks once again to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. You can learn more about them and how you could partner with us to help the Suncast tribe grow over at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's S-P-O-N-S-O-R. It's linked in the bookmark links at the top of the page as well. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>